MomSave America is sponsored by Integration Partners, a nationwide network integrator specializing in cloud and security solutions. Integration Partners, what's possible? MomSave America is also presented by Plain Jane Designs, a bespoke graphic design artist helping you with your business card, flyer, invitation, logo needs. Go to Jane at Plain Jane Designs if you need a logo, something fun, because she can do it. Or, you know, thank you cards. Does anybody send thank you cards anymore? I hope so. I hope so, too. Like personal. Holiday season's coming up. Yeah, she should do holiday cards. Yep. Make her own little... I mm-hmm. bet you she'd be good at that, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to show you the hat I crocheted. Oh, I am... Jesus. I am crocheting up a Last storm. week, you were crocheting pumpkins. I'm still doing the pumpkins. This week, we're crocheting yes, hats. Yes, I ordered the side note, special craft pumpkin stems to actually add. Oh. You can order these amazing so there are other people that are crocheting pumpkins it's a whole thing on etsy oh i don't know why i'm doing mom save america when i can be yeah you could be making a fortune on etsy on etsy (laughs) in my own little room not talking to anybody that's right all right well we'll be right back with that note hello welcome to mom save america i am tina graff I'm Carrie Lucas. Yes, we are the podcast dedicated to momtemplating those things that spark controversy, create parenting challenges, and generally make us go, what the fuck? Today on the podcast, we're going to do our mom shares, do some reviews on the past week in news, which has been a doozy, and then we're going to mainly momtemplate women, women in general, and as it relates to men, sexism, sexist, feminism, because I've had a little revelation. <clears throat> And when I have these revelations, I stop and write them down and make Carrie listen to things. Okay. So before we jump into that, let's start with, I don't want to start with Ruth. I want to start with Ellen. Okay. I saw it this morning, the okay. apology. What did you think? Listen, I was kind of annoyed that there was an Ellen backlash anyways. I know. I'm annoyed that like when somebody reaches a certain point, it's our job as a society to tear them down. Even if there's justification and justified reasons for that, for people to be upset with her? No, you can be upset with her for sure, but she's running a multi million dollar company. But everything isn't just... always going to be served to you sweetly. Okay, but wouldn't you, as an owner of a company, if someone four or five steps down the line was, you know, feeling mistreated, wouldn't yeah. you want to know that? Sure. And wouldn't you take action on that? Sure. Okay. Did she not? Did, I well, mean, I think I think a lot of stuff that was happening was not filtering up to her. So she, but she was ultimately responsible. And then mm-hmm. I think certain things that she did, she was responsible for. And I, I don't know how I feel about her. I mean, I'm listen. I'm glad anybody apologizes and recognizes. And I think she's sincere. And but I also think she was sincere in this fact that she was like, I, I've had a tough summer. Like, this has sucked for me. And you know what? I'm pissed that I even said I was going to be the be kind lady. Yeah, I found it funny that so they, they showed like snippets of her apology this morning on, um, I think it was Good Morning America. And then they had some person commenting on it. I don't know who the woman was commenting on it, but she was not satisfied with the apology at all. And she said it felt shallow and I, I don't know what they want these people to do. do do they want her to cry or grovel or i mean listen i'm not going to feel bad for ellen that she had a tough summer uh you didn't have a tough summer right like you lived in your multi-million dollar mansion perfectly fine i'm sorry you got a backlash of people not liking you for a little while she had an that's, emotionally tough summer. yeah but that's not that tough but yeah i also feel like a lot of times like 
there isn't a lot of time. Listen, there's always time to be kind, okay? But you're talking about a lot of stuff didn't filter up to her, or if it did, it was ignored. Sometimes it's some of those things that you just don't have time to get to every day. That's fine. That's fine. What about the fact that her defense about the way she treats people is that she's impatient. She's like, I, I'm sometimes I'm not a patient person. Yeah. My thing is, is that that's fine. You can be an impatient person. You still don't have to be rude to people. Yeah. And I think too, like we're going to talk about something else later on the podcast that it's also about self-correction. And when people are pointing something out or when you're noticing it in yourself, yes. self-correction. And I'm going to cue into that and I kind of felt like that was sort of what she was saying listen I didn't I'm feel a work in progress I know she said that I don't know if I felt so you that. think she feels like she's perfectly fine no I felt like she recognized listen I felt like she heard the criticism mm-hmm. but she addressed the criticism as it related to the company and to the show and yeah I do agree with that there was a lot of my name is on it so it's my fault but not a lot of I did Uh, There was a slight amount of, I can get sad, and I can do this, and I'm an impatient person, and to all those people that might have felt offended, I just felt like there could have been, and listen, I'm fine with Ellen, I just feel like there could have been more recognition into, yeah, sometimes my impatience makes me rude, and sometimes my rudeness... I'm trying to be funny, and that doesn't come off as funny either, mm-hmm. and I got to I gotta address that. Maybe that was her intent. I, I didn't get the whole thing. I think it's Sorry. this quarantine thing um, with my husband working at home, and I know you have run into this yourself. <laughs> I'm listening to a lot of um, conversations that yes. occur business-wise. Oh, yes. And sometimes I'll just look at them, and I'll be like, tone. Oh. Like, because I don't think people notice... Oh, so you're you're picking Andon's tone out and saying, Andon, your tone. Tone. I don't think people, and it's hard to self-correct all day long. We're human beings. We make mistakes. But I don't know. No, but I think your point is relevant. We have people that check and balance us. Most notably, my three children, Mm -hmm. right? They're constantly saying to me, Mom, geez, Mom, why would you say? And I, I have stopped backlashing them, and I have started going, oh, geez, did I say it back? Right, right. And I'll be like, I didn't mean it that way if it came out that way. But for a long time, I was also doing the, what the heck do you know, child? Yeah, right. And now I'm like, okay, if it's coming across negative or rude to them, it might be coming across negative or rude to somebody else. But also, our kids are overly sensitive. I'd rather them overly critical to me at this stage, though, because I do feel like sometimes... I did hear a story from a couple of the trainers at the barn who did say something to me like, oh, t- I must have made a comment. Oh, about your tone or your attitude. Yeah. Interesting. And, and they were, I love it. They were laughing about it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I said something to the effect like maybe they should do a little bit more reading about some. Oh, snooty. Yeah. I was a bit snooty. Yeah. Okay. And I may have thought it was funny and they didn't think it was funny. Interesting. So they okay. you know, said something and I was like, oh, geez, really? I didn't mean it. And they're like, no. Well, I, I will say something about you. Please. I, I really like that when people do do things like that, you aren't offended. You're always like, oh, sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Like, never. I never feel like if I say something to you, you're taken aback or... I think either you go, tough shit, that's the way I feel, or you laugh about it. I'm in one of two camps. One of of them is, I don't really give a fuck. Right. Or, 
I'm super sorry. Not much um, hurts my feelings, I guess is the point. And, you know, also with this whole thing with Ellen and everything else, um, people have been posting, you know, about um, self-correcting our racism thing and learning how to not be so sensitive when somebody corrects us. Because a lot of times... We don't know we've done something offensive or like you don't know unless somebody teaches you, you know. So I think if it's said in the proper way of, okay, you know what? We don't we don't talk like that anymore. <laughs> or we, we don't say those things right, anymore. Right. Going, oh geez, okay, yep, got it. Like just sort of yes. you just a I little don't understand point out. Why it would be defensive. Um, yeah. I, because people feel like their character is coming into question. Yeah. Like yeah, that's you're true. calling me a racist or you're accusing me of something. No, I'm just giving a simple correction. You take yeah. it how you want. Right. But I think that's not a, how I right. I think it. that there's a, a give and take with the presentation of the criticism mm-hmm. or how, how it's presented one way or another. And you have to kind of gauge that. All right. Well, we'll leave Ellen as it is. Can we, I want to just mention one thing um, as it relates to uh, being able to take criticism. What happened with uh, Chris Evans and him posting something on accident of his penis? Uh, what, what do you mean what happened? It was an accident that the, the picture went out. <laughs> Why was he taking a picture of his penis? Well, I don't, who knows? We've, I've gone through this with you. Everybody but us is doing it. I mean, that's <laughs> clear. Nudes are f- flowing the airwaves that we are not part of, thank God. What? Because I, I, I was trying to figure out what are they talking about? What did he post? What did he post? Like, But he showed his, um, like, photo library for another reason, not realizing that the penis dick pic was on there. So that's what happened. But honestly, I think they dealt with it in the most hilarious that's way. I think so, Like, too. the brother came on the next day, Scott, and was like, off media for a day, what I miss. Like, just <laughs> And he's like, now that I have your attention, yeah. I'll vote. Yeah. Right. I mean, they just sort of blew it off and right. got on with their lives as no big... But then you also have the other side where the women are like, well, if this was a woman's picture, she would be getting like they wouldn't be able to deal with it in such a quick and joking manner if it was the reverse. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's the way we deal with it. We deal with it. Right. That's what I was thinking as well. Mm -hmm. But that was funny. Let's move on to the Emmys this weekend. Jimmy Kimmel hosted the virtual Emmys. What did you think? I, I, You know what? There was one part... Um, of his monologue, which I loved. And can I, let's play it and then we'll go, we'll talk about it. What's happening tonight is not important. It's not gonna stop COVID. It's not gonna put out the fires, but it's fun. And right now we need fun. My God, do we need fun. This has been a miserable year. It's been a year of uh, division, injustice, disease, Zoom school, disaster and death. We've been quarantined in lockdown. We've been confined to our homes like prisoners in a dark and lonely tunnel. And what did we find in that dark and lonely tunnel? I'll tell you what we found. A friend who's there for us 24 hours a day. Our old pal television. That's right. Television is your friend. It's your friends. It's your big brother, your sister's sister, your mama's family, your two dads, your three sons, your crazy ex-girlfriend, it's even your dog, the bounty hunter. Through the good times and the breaking bads, for every day of your 600-pound life, television is there for you. It's kind of true. We all just turned back to television. I I was just going to say that. That that really 
was our only friend during quarantine. <laughs> and, and and it kind of unified people like they were talking on Facebook about what they had watched and, you know, certain shows like Schitt's Creek or right. Tiger King, like, took off. I'm surprised and, you didn't have a Tiger King reference yeah. in there. I thought that it was fine having the people at home. Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. I thought parts of it were cute. Like, I loved that, you know, Zendaya was all dressed up. And I love She's that, amazing. that the Schitt's Creek crew were all together somewhere. And then, of course, today they're getting backlash they? because they weren't all wearing masks. their masks at the same time. And, you know, they should have had that. like this ticker tape underneath going. We've all been tested for COVID. Yeah. We've all come back negative. We've all followed the guidelines. Seriously. Well, and I'm sure they had. I of mean, course. You know what? How much money was saved? I know. It, it's interesting to think about that. Like how... Not that you don't want people to gather because we right. don't want to get back to some sort of normal. But, but like post-COVID, right? How so many things are just going to be different because they're just not necessary. They're not necessary. Okay, moving on, switching topics to a situation we spoke about last week, which isn't a very fun topic, but it's the Jerry Harris cheerleading scandal that uh, kind of rocked both of us last week. Let's do an update on that. It is clear Jerry is under arrest Mm -hmm. at this point. So Jerry Harris, who was from the Netflix documentary, which we talked about, he's been arrested for illegally soliciting images from minors. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, right, there was this other piece of the scandal that came out that said over a hundred and some odd different uh, officials or trainers related to USA Cheer or something mm-hmm. have had some sort of prior conviction. Carrie, what the hell's going on in the cheerleading world? Well, that piece of it doesn't shock me at all. Okay. That other piece of it. The Jerry thing, I'm so blown out by. This was the thing I wanted to talk about with self-correction. Like, when we sat down, I was like, you know, it's just not true. And, um, you know, lines get crossed and people are confused. And I think that when um, I got the, you know, there was this text that came across that, like, basically detailed what he was actually admitting to and um and what was he admitting pleading guilty for so it was um for pictures sex with a 15 year old um soliciting a 13 year old for pictures and then paying somebody else for photographs that's why the fbi got confiscated everything yeah and he also has some texts um trying to end the contact with the 13 year old and apologizing you know, the 13-year-old is devastated. Like, what? No, what? Everything's I fine. I want to be with you. He does, he does, he's not explicit in the text of what they had actually done. But it was, I feel like what I did to you was wrong. And I think we shouldn't be friends anymore. And the boy is, like, trying to obviously continue the relationship. And it made me think about the... And listen, I... I I don't want to get into excusing his behavior because I have a lot of that going in my, on in my mind too, mm-hmm. but that's for a different conversation. But it reminded me of the gymnastics thing where they were like, we loved Larry. He was the only one that was nice to us. He snuck us candy. He did everything. He was the only kind, loving adult that we were surrounded by. So they didn't want to turn in Larry Nasser. But you're not comparing Jerry to Larry Nasser. I am in my mind only because I'm like, here's this person who is just this gregarious, outgoing, sweet, kind, loving person, supporting everybody, going to watch everybody's team and cheering them on. 
the reason I was thinking about this because I was talking about the self-correction thing and thinking just because people are one way doesn't mean they aren't another. Like he can be those things and I can't jump to the conclusion of that he's not the other thing and that excuses him from things. And it really plays into, you know, your grooming philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like the people that are doing that are kind, loving, charming people. I still honestly can't get behind the fact that Jerry was doing any of that maliciously and purposefully to set up some sort of like. So I have a whole ring. other side of it where I feel like, you know, he's he's a 21 year old man in a probably 13, 14 year old mind, like right. his his maturity and sexuality is stunted. He has no male role model in his life. He grew up in um, housing projects, moving from, you know, right. development to development. Lord knows what happened to him in those places. He didn't share any of that with right. the world, but we can only assume. And he's had no, um, what appears to be mental health throughout his life. Like, I know this family took him in, but I know from experience on all these cheer trips, a lot of these boys are coming from broken families for one reason or another. And most of the time they're coming on these cheer trips with no parental guidance whatsoever. No supervision. So they're sort of left to their own defenses. And that's when I think lines can get crossed and you can get confused. And, you know, my husband gets mad at me when I say these things because he's like, if this was a 21-year-old man asking a 13-year-old girl for nude photos, you wouldn't be mm-hmm. defending this person. But then my own daughter said to me, I mean, I think getting the FBI involved is a bit extreme. This happens to girls all the time. And she blew it off as if it's unimportant and nothing. Like her perception of it was, well, girls get dick pics all the time. And, you know, Girls are sending stuff back to guys, you know, all the time. And they'll get like... Underage girls to, you know, overage... Yeah, they'll get like on their Instagram, sugar daddy looking for, uh, you know, whatever. And all I want to do is chat and, you know, send me cute pics of you. But that's not Mm -hmm. clearly all they want. And they'll send you, you know, $100 a week or something. So this is going on and the kid's perception of it is... This is just not a big deal, Mom. I mean, this is... I mean, first of all... It is a big deal. My children aren't sending anybody yeah. photos. And but, first of all, your children are adults, like grown adults. Yeah, that, but Ava will get um, yeah. DM Instagram messages from people, and she'll show me and laugh and be like, oh my God, Mom, look at this person I had to block. Like, it's just happening. That continues to be a tough one for me to handle. I don't know. The other piece of that, if what you're saying, because I didn't follow that last part, is that he is apologizing or he recognized in the midst of it like this i can't i shouldn't be doing this right so something along those lines there's a connection like shit and then they had um all the kids um who were his you know close buddies on the um cheer team each did like their own individual statement over the weekend about how they were feeling and if they'd had any knowledge of it and one of the kids said something that just like killed me it was like the best thing about jerry is he always tells the truth when confronted. Like, so... he's a, It's impossible for him not to tell the truth. Right. So he was confronted with this, and he always takes responsibility for what he's done. Right. So I think that's why so quickly it was he's pled guilty to these things. And I'm sure there's things within there that he didn't do or that could be looked at as not 
criminal mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. But for the things that they were accusing him of that he did, he fessed up and said that he'd done it. Well, my hope is that if he's actually convicted of something, that along with whatever crime, quote-unquote crime, that they say he's committed, there's some sort of education and help and rehabilitation just from a mental standpoint and social standpoint to get him like we let these kids fall through the cracks well, that's all the, the time thing. i was saying at work the other day like you know you can go off on a whole socialized medicine rampage about this because we don't what care. the frick did you expect yeah, we don't what care. did you think was going to happen so we're only going to punish people after the fact but we're not interested in stopping a cycle of behavior right. or helping kids who are um, in need or have been neglected in their life in some way i mean listen we can go off on an overweight tirade as well but like here you have uh he was 12 years old and severely obese yeah something's going on that's not food, just food intake alone. Something psychological is going on there. And he there. was probably abused. Abuse, of course. Yeah, he was abused at some point. Of course. And we don't care. That's like that documentary that Bart and I just finished, Love Fraud. Did you happen to- Oh, okay. So I've seen the first episode and I always put it on at night. It's terrible. Well, I, I fall asleep by the second episode, so I haven't made it past the first episode. It's only yet. four episodes. We finished it last night. It's... It's just annoying. At the bottom line, I'm going to tell you what happens because it's mm-hmm. so frustrating and it's so slow. This documentary is love fraud. It's about this guy who is mental. I mean, he's been abused. He's got all kinds of problems, but he seeks out these women. He's been married like 12 times, mm-hmm. doesn't even know how many he's divorced or not divorced. He basically preys on women, gets them to agree to certain things, takes all their money. And it's not like rich women. It's women who have basically nothing, leave their husband and he gets Good like, credit. As long as you had good credit. As long as you have good credit, he'll take like the 20 grand that you yep. have saved, your whole life savings. The whole point of this is that they hire this 60-year-old bounty hunter. I'm safe hunter. for that reason, by the way. So They have no money. I have bad credit, so oh. <laughs> no one's coming for me. <laughs> They hire this bounty hunter woman who's hilarious, and they actually get him arrested after these women finally kind of find each other, post this blog, and they're, like, trying to reach out to anybody that may have come in contact with them to say, hey, warning, warning. They get him arrested. The bounty hunter woman goes, yeah, it's not going to stick because the justice system can't handle murderers and rapists and everything else. They're going to let this guy go in six months, and he's just going to go off there and do it again. Well, and also, they all willingly did all those things. But again, this this guy is mental. First of all, when they finally arrest him and he's actually doing the interview, that's the one part you got to watch. Episode four, like an hour in, just go to that when he finally is talking to the reporter. It's the first time you hear his voice. I'm like, this is a gay man. Who are these women who don't know? Like, this is a gay man trying to just take advantage of you anyways it's a shit show of a show and i'm i just at the end said to bart i gotta watch it when i before i've taken my melatonin i guess we need some sort of mental health in this country i don't know that's going to be the next revolution of issues to to be tackled social issues to be tackled but well there's got to be like a um trigger things like you know no, no not everybody who's um you know a child of divorce or low um socioeconomic status or any of those things are necessarily going to need need mental health but they're warning signs they're triggers right. like to check in separate from that like this pandemic shows and carrie mentioned as she's driving in here the big uh, sign in Lexington Center is yeah, it usually says like road construction ahead. 
it says suicide prevention or gives the hotline. Carrie came in and was like, wait, are we at that point? And I said, I feel like kids jumping back into this school situation, everything, both the the parents are mad, the teachers are mad, Mm -hmm. everybody is frustrated because no one has a real clear understanding. Half the Zoom calls get dropped. Half the assignments that are supposed to be posted aren't posted in the right place. It's true. It's isolating. It's stressful. I was listening this morning on my way to work, and a teacher had called into uh, Maddie in the Morning, this radio show, and she had been taking lorazepam to get through the day because she was like... It's so, she said, I'm so stressed. I can't even imagine. So she's taking lorazepam, but then at night she's taking Ambien to help her sleep. So it was, her class started at 7.20 and her, she woke up at 7.05 and it was 7.40 when I heard the call and she's like, I'm flying down the road, you know, and and I'm like, oh, my teachers are just a mess. They're just stressed and a mess. My friend Trish, her little sister is a kindergarten teacher in New Jersey and she said, she would rather get COVID right now yeah. than have to do another Zoom call with kindergartners. Yeah. She's like, I am not that much of an entertainer to be able to yeah, hold their attention. You can't yeah. you can barely hold their attention when they're sitting in front of you without being. Have you seen as a the clown. TikTok with the little girl on the bicycle? No. It's such a great idea. So she's um on a Zoom call, probably kindergarten or first grade. And her mom has her bicycle in front of the desk, but they propped up the back training wheels with sneakers. So the little girl's pedaling. That's fantastic. As she's doing her Zoom call. So she's like moving and exercising. And yeah. That's great. Great idea. Well, that used to be Emmy. You know, we'd have to sit her on the bouncy ball. Yeah. All oh, the bouncy balls. So always like. In class. I mean. Can I get one of those? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's move on to our main mom-templating topic. This topic converges Black Lives Matter, women's rights movement, and LGBTQ, everything kind of together. Most of you know that I had read that book stamp from the beginning because I had wondered about the nature of systemic racism and the origins of slavery and why it still plagued this country. And then you fast forward to last week with Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying and The gravity of the importance of all these issues just hit me so hard. And, you know, it's hard for me at this point to even talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying because, may her death be a blessing, by the way, because it's so powerful and and upsetting. Can I just say one thing about Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying? We were out to dinner in Concord, and I get the text from Tina, Ruth is dead. That's all I get from her. I know. And I'm like, what? So then I start madly, like, I googling. got the text from my brother. Ruth is dead. Like, I had that pit in my stomach, like, when Trump won. But right, then. exactly. So so you can tell this sort of, like, a little buzz growing in the restaurant, like, as yes. the news is traveling oh, and so everything. Weird. I'm not kidding. 20 minutes later, we leave. God love Concord Center. If you're not from here, there's no way to explain Concord to mm-hmm. you. But maybe this will give you an idea. 20 minutes later, a group has gathered on the green for a candlelight vigil. No emails needing to be sent. No, They just know my people will be there. <laughs> if I go, I won't be alone. Right. Uh, they'll be there. That's and, amazing, actually. I mean, literally 20 minutes. They're all, a whole group of them down there with their white candles standing. And I'm like... This could literally make me cry. It's so beautiful. Like, these people just know 
I'm, I got to go to the green. That's where peace will be. It was lovely. And you know, Lexington, have you seen theirs? Yes. In the uh, Handmaid's Tale outfits. It's scary. Upsetting. Okay, sorry. No. Back to Ruthie. So my stream of consciousness was, as I'm thinking about Stamped from the Beginning and Ruth dying and women's issues coming to the forefront, I'm reminded of the other book that I read this summer, which was called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. The book Untamed is basically a dedication to women to stop being in control, right? It's about let's be out of control. Let's start. Let's be out of the constraints of being calm and agreeable and reasonable. Let's stop doing that and be more out of the controlled aspect of our lives. We've been talking about that for a while. We have to keep our girls fired up about their abilities to speak up, speak truth to power, be unapologetic, take a stand for what they believe. It's okay to be out of control. Mm -hmm. And as Adele has put it, she has come out and said, this book has transformed her life. Like everybody was like, what happened to you? You lost all this weight. You didn't. She's like, "Uh, I read Untamed, by the way, people go read it. Oh, Jesus. Maybe I'll read it then. Oh my God. That's what she said. She's like, this book transformed my life. And I can honestly say it is one of my favorite books I've ever read. And what happened to me when I read Untamed is I made these weird connections to all the different movements that are going on today with Me Too and Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ rights. And it happened in early in the book. In one of the earliest chapters of the book, the author, Glennon Doyle, who, by the way, side note, grows up Catholic. She wants to do the right thing. She wants to look the right way. She wants to be the right kind of wife and mother. And she feels that she tragically falls short of all of these things because she ends up with an eating disorder and then she's an alcoholic and then her husband cheats on her and and then ultimately she falls in love with a woman so she's basically gay and she cracks every Catholic code for effing everything up. But back to the point, in the earliest chapters of the book, she speaks to this situation of why women feel so controlled. I just want to play you one of the chapters and then we can discuss on the other side. I'm 10 years old and I'm sitting in a small room in the back of Nativity Catholic Church with 20 other kids. I'm at CCD where my parents send me on Wednesday nights to learn about God. Our CCD teacher is my classmate's mom. I do not remember her name, but I do remember that she keeps telling us that she is an accountant during the day. Her family needed service hours, so she volunteered to work in the gift shop. Instead, the church assigned her to room 423, 5th grade CCD. So now, on Wednesdays between 6.30 and 7.30 p.m., she teaches children about God. She asks us to sit on the carpet in front of her chair because she is going to explain to us how God made people. I hurry to get a spot in front. I am very curious about how and why I was made. I notice that our teacher does not have a Bible or any other books in her lap. She is going to speak from memory. I am impressed. She begins. God made Adam and put him in a beautiful garden. Adam was God's favorite creation, so he told Adam that his only jobs were to be happy, rule over the garden, and name the animals. Adam's life was almost perfect, except that he got lonely and stressed. He wanted some company and help naming the animals. So he told God that he wanted a companion and a helper. One night, God helped Adam give birth to Eve. From inside Adam's body, a woman was born. That is why she is called woman, because women came from the womb of man, womb man. I am so amazed that I forget to raise my hand. Wait, Adam gave birth to Eve? 
But don't people come from women's bodies? Shouldn't boys be called women? Shouldn't all people be called women? My teacher says, raise your hand, Glennon. I raise my hand. She motions for me to put it back down. The boy sitting to my left rolls his eyes at me. Our teacher goes on. Adam and Eve were happy, and everything stayed perfect for a while. But then God said there was one tree they couldn't eat from, the tree of knowledge. Even though it was the only thing that Eve wasn't allowed to want, she wanted an apple from that tree anyway. So one day, she got hungry, picked the apple off the tree, and took a bite. Then she tricked Adam into taking a bite, too. As soon as Adam bit into the apple, Eve and Adam felt shame for the first time and tried to hide from God. But God sees everything, so God knew. God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Then he cursed them and their future children, and for the first time, suffering existed on the earth. This is why we still suffer today, because Eve's original sin is inside of all of us. That sin is wanting to know more than we are supposed to know, wanting more instead of being grateful for what we have, and doing what we want to do instead of what we should do. That was some careful accounting. I had no further questions. Okay. Carrie's dumbstruck. First of all, let me just say that I was brought up Catholic. I heard that very similar story, the tree of knowledge and that Eve's original sin, etc. And that while I grew up in that environment and heard that, I never had the feeling women were responsible for the suffering and plight of the earth. But I do know that that was, you know, an undertone of things. I was always brought up with women can do everything. We were brought up in the post Roe v. Wade generation. Mm -hmm. My point in sharing this particular passage for me is that it points to a message, both subliminal and straightforward, that women need to be controlled. Because left to their own devices, they're gonna make some bad decisions. Do you know what I'm saying? Or they just want, we're seeking knowledge. Yes, but that's only if you put women in the writer's chair. Think about if a, a woman wrote the Bible. Let's right. just think about the fact that if a woman wrote the Bible and it was reversed and, and Adam ate the goddamn apple, what would have happened then if Adam was the one responsible for going to the tree of knowledge, picking the goddamn apple and saying, Eve, you eat it, then he would have been right. the harbinger of the original sin. sin. And yeah, but no, a man obviously wrote the Bible and women have been stamped from the beginning as well, saying if we let them get too much power and speak their minds and do what we want with our bodies, I am not some crazy feminist. I didn't have to be because I grew up knowing and believing that women can do and say anything. And I certainly had issues of discrimination and weird misogynistic creeps along the way, but I always had the belief from my parents I could do anything. And the bottom line is we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg to thank for all of that. If you have a credit card in your name, if the property you live in has your name on the lease, if you can consent to your own medical treatment and play whatever sport you want and go to whatever college you want, it's because of Ruth. And that Garden of Eden story, it spells trouble. First of all, what a weird story. What? Like, who's writing shit like this? I don't know. I don't and know. And I know it's written in sort of a metaphorical way right. in some but how strange like i don't want to bash religion no. or spirituality or anything but like what a weird it's just it's so my point to talk about that particular thing was i wanted to understand more about how the religious right was born mm -hmm. it, from a political standpoint like how did we get to this point where 
the evangelicals control so much. Yeah, I don't know why they have so much power in the country. Like, they, are they in the masses more than the rest of us? I don't think so. No, but they are a coalition that will vote consistently and they and have passionately. Cash. I was in a discussion with somebody over the weekend. They were like trying to school me and be like, well, Carrie, there's nothing to worry about. We're, we're too far along at this point. None of those rights against, you know, gay and lesbian people or women are going to be turned back. And I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're mistaken. We're in the thick of it. Like, this is a simple vote away. Yeah. Like, this isn't, it's not like there's a sensible group of people that are going, well, you know, we're not taking women's rights away or we're not taking, you know, gay rights. Away. No, that we've gone bananas. And that those are the people that are in there making the decisions at this point. Well, that is all very true because those people are scared to death that their way of life and by way of life, I mean money and control because that's the bottom line in everything, that their way of life is going to be jeopardized. These old white men are scared that... Their way of keeping all the money and all the control is slipping away, and the more afraid they get, the tighter the grip. And they are just delighted that Ruth has died, and they have an opportunity to strengthen that grip on the Supreme Court. And another chapter in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, was the discussion about how the religious right was born. Because after Roe v. Wade, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The religious community in general did not put up any real objection to that decision. It really didn't bother them at the time, interestingly enough. What concerned them more was the consequences of the civil rights movement and the desegregation of Christian schools. There were rulings in the court at the time that were calling for all schools that were not allowing all students to into their schools that they could therefore not claim tax-exempt status. And this was pissing off all the religious leaders because, of course, they didn't want black and brown kids in their schools, but more importantly, they did not want to pay taxes in their private-only Christian white schools. Mm -hmm. So these guys needed a plan to get themselves involved in the decision-making process, and the only way to do that was to galvanize their community around a conservative issue that might direct the vote to a political leader who would work to support the issues that were important to them, and abortion was that powerful issue that gave them basically a virtual voting block. And listen, there's a million articles about how the religious right was born. I'm not just making this up as I go along, so you can go and do your research and find out how this all played a part. But the biggest and most surprising part for me was that Richard Nixon was one of the key instruments in ordering the IRS to enact the new policy denying the tax exemptions to all segregated schools in the U.S. And then Jimmy Carter gets elected, right? Jimmy Carter is an evangelical. Mm-hmm. He's one of Didn't them. Didn't know that. Yep, but Jimmy Carter, while morally against abortion, he's not going to come out and outlaw it, so the religious right put their money behind Ronald Reagan, who, by the way, Ronald Reagan, as governor of California, signed very aggressive pro-choice legislation in his state, but changed his stance to get the religious right on his side. It's such a farce that I... Oh, it also reminds me of the uh, Miss America um, miniseries that was on this summer about she didn't really care about abortion or anti-abortion. It was more about giving her political power or status. It was more about... If I agree to this and if I take on this cause, 
I will rise to a higher level than... Carrie's talking about Phyllis Schlafly, who is the woman behind the opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, her Equal Rights, yeah. Yes, her point was that it's going to degrade the family, mm-hmm. and if, if, the, if women get the right, all equal rights, then men aren't going to take care of us anymore. Right. What are we going to do? But again, it wasn't about that for her. It was just about her own agenda and what she was looking for for herself. So you have this combination of racially charged evangelicals, and then the religious right is born and gets more and more conservative in the idea that, uh, as Jerry Falwell says... He says it's easier to open a massage parlor than a Catholic school or a, a Christian school. Well, he would know. I mean. <laughs> now now we know a lot more about him. Yeah. And that moves people. So I guess what I'm trying to say, there is this patriarchy that, and, you know, we've talked about it before. And it's not that long ago. That's no. not that long ago. What is clear is that the religious right isn't concerned morally with no clearly not clear clearly not because of the candidate they've gotten exactly and that is the hypocrisy of it and the fact that if you are a true you know religious person and you believe in jesus and whatever you believe in i i i'm totally cool with that like this is what you follow and you believe in your heart but I can't make the connection. I don't understand. I still don't understand how you make the connection. If you know anything, if you've read anything, how you make the connection to follow politically and to jump into politically the religious right as a political entity that enforces and endorses candidates because it's just so hypocritical. Well, and also that's what our country was founded off of separation of church, um, and state. church and state yes and now we are really that's that, going back exactly to that that's a whole very thing. good point that's a very good point it's like and also i think the clip that you sent me that you're sort of taught to not question and not ask and th- this is these are the beliefs i think this is what you sent me yes. or i watched something else yes. no that's- and if it's just sort of preached to you then that's it don't question don't delve in any further about it. Right. And listen, church is a community that offers amazing things. They they offer comfort and support and generosity, but it also can offer judgment and biases that as a human being, you should in general question. Because, you know, if you really think about the story of Jesus. And Glennon Doyle has a chapter in her book that discusses this particular piece. She's like, I I love the story of Jesus. Oh, yes, he's taking in, you know, the poor, the helpless, the wounded. She's like, the story of Jesus is a beautiful allegory that was written to bring people together to focus on seeing God and beauty in something or someone that you wouldn't necessarily believe to be where you find God. I mean, Mary is an unwed mother in a land foreign to her at an inn that had no room for her and she had to give birth in the barn. And you know what? Glennon Doyle from the book says it much better. So let me just play you how she describes that if the allegory was written today, how it might sound. Let's take a listen. Had these wise storytellers lived in modern America, they might point to a poor, black, transgender woman or an asylum-seeking toddler alone in a detainment center and say, God is in this one. This one. The one on the outermost ring of the rankings we've made up about who matters. This one, the one farthest from whom we have centered. This one is made of our same flesh, blood, and spirit. When we hurt her, we hurt our own kin. 
This one is one of us. This one is us. So let us protect her. Let us bring her gifts and kneel in front of her. Let us fight for her and her family to have every good thing we want for ourselves and our families. Let us love this one as we love ourselves. The point of this story was never that this one is more God than the rest. The point is that if we can find good in those we've been trained to see as bad, if we can find worth in those we've been conditioned to see as worthless, if we can find ourselves in those we've been indoctrinated to see as other, then we become unable to hurt them. When we stop hurting them, we stop hurting ourselves. When we stop hurting ourselves, we begin to heal. The Jesus idea is that justice casts the widest net possible so that every last one of us is inside. Then there are no others. There is only us. We've strayed so far mm-hmm. away from that. Not only, we're, we're like, don't let those people in. Mm-hmm. God help us. When you break it down to what's happening right now politically, we, we've just crossed a line and, uh, you know. Well, why don't we have that if you are a religious organization, you cannot donate to a political candidate? What I mean, do we have that law? I don't know if it's if they donate under a religious name. Oh. I don't know how they donate to, or it's just the name. If the religious community says we are in, we're backing Donald Trump, then all of their religious supporters vote for Donald Trump. Megan McCain was on the View yesterday, who I now hate. I can't tolerate her at all. But she was basically like, the abortion issue is a meat and potatoes issue, and he's going to win off of that issue alone. And I'm like, how? How can that be the most important goddamn thing in your life? And God bless Whoopi. She was like, I don't understand how that's the only defining characteristic, because guess what? No one's making you have an abortion. If you don't want an abortion, don't get an abortion. If you and your loved ones are against that, don't do it. No one's forcing you to do these things, but you're forcing me to not have a choice anymore about what's right for me. And what did Meg McCain say? I don't know. They go to break because they all start arguing and she's got some stupid headband on. I don't know what's going on with her in the headbands, but somebody needs to get a hold of her. They're like crowns or halos of some kind. So she's for him. So she's for him. Uh, the Supreme Court decision, and she's like, "Oh yeah, he should he should be able to elect who he wants to." Or- I mean, I think she's for pushing a, forward a conservative Supreme Court person before the deadline. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was taking away. He's he's an idiot. He, he's the worst game show host ever. <laughs> he's like everybody who wants a woman and they cheer and then who wants a man? Oh, the men don't have it. Uh-oh, what are we going to do? He's such a loser. What am I f- and then there was something also I And Mitch McConnell, every time him or Lindsey Graham go to speak, I don't know why everybody doesn't just start playing their soundbite clip of that we we need to wait and it's only fair. Lindsey Graham's like, use my words against me. He, here's the thing. They, they don't, don't care, care about any of they it don't anymore. Care. The Supreme Court is what we're in jeopardy of. And now we're in that position of it's it's too late. It's really too late. Well, and they mentioned like they need four Republicans to dissent. And now Mitt Romney agreed to vote. Oh, he did? Just this morning. Yep. He's like, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and agree. Because they had Susan Collins as one of the people. To, and I'm like, she's failed us every, every time. time. They only had two, Susan Collins and, and the other one, Lisa Murkowski. And I think that they both potentially agreed to not. Why would Mitt Romney do this? I don't know. Because I think he's conservative. He's super religious. 
The whole point is to get the Supreme Court on your side. If you think religion should dictate how laws are made, we're going back to some sort of dark age because that's why we started this country, to separate religious persecution and how religion got involved with making our laws. Okay, well, I just want you to know now you've drugged me down, too. I'm sorry. Last week I was really like, we have to continue to be hopeful and push on forward, and now you've drugged me down. Ruth died. That's what happened. I didn't drug you anywhere. I know, but it's just not her responsibility. She was tired. I'm not saying it was her responsibility. Couldn't we have kept her under life support? I don't know. Maybe she was, right? Who knows? I don't know. No, her poor her, lady. Her granddaughter recorded her last words, basically saying, "Oh, she's hoping the president. She was hoping she's not replaced. My fervent wish is to not be replaced until a new president is elected. Then, Ruth, you should have hung on there for another month. But anyways, um, it's a sad time for us now that we're ruthless, but." You know what? We're going to carry on. So with that, we're going to sign out. Bye, Wilty. Bye, Wilty. See ya.